Hello, welcome to Game & Watch, the show where we talk about games we've been gaming and movies and TV shows we've been watching. My name is Aaron. And I'm James. And today we are talking about, I'm very excited for this selection, uh, we're talking about Drive, the 2011 film directed by Nicholas Winding Refn. Yeah, I was very uh, happy to hear your hearty response to this recommendation, which I pulled out of nowhere by just looking at my Blu-rays and trying to think of a movie I hadn't seen <laughs> and, and hadn't rewatched in a bit. Um, when you suggested it to me, uh, my face lit up. Edgar was next to me uh, and I immediately said, yes, I love this movie. I can't wait to talk about it. All right. Well, that getting we're getting ahead of it, um, but I, I think we could tell based on uh, your oh, initial yeah. excitement. I, I guess I gave away my my thoughts on the film. It's not a perfect yeah. film. We'll get to it. But I do uh, very I have very fond feelings for this film. Yeah. So tell me about your history with it. So the first time I saw this movie, I was living at home after college, I believe because 2011. No, I must have been home over the summer or something. Yeah, we would have been home over the summer graduating. And uh, yeah, because this came out, I think, the fall after we graduated college. Ah, but I graduated in December of 2012. Oh, because I had to do student teaching. And Ah, I didn't did not know that. Anyway, I knew I was home and I probably was doing my student teaching, actually. Um, And I had nothing to do that night. And it was like a Friday or Saturday and all my friends lived in the city and I didn't want to head out to the city for the night. I would just kind of wanted to stay close and save money. And LaGrange Theater was playing Drive and a couple of other movies. And I decided to see Drive because in my mind, I wanted to see uh, something mindless and stupid and actiony. Uh, something akin to a Fast and Furious movie, uh, which I thought Drive was. I'd seen, I think, one trailer for it that I barely paid attention to. And the trailers, uh, because I think this is a very difficult movie to market, uh, which we'll talk about in terms of the kind of movie it is. But the marketing for the movie that I remember made it seem like a Fast and Furious alike, uh, which this film is not. No. So I went in expecting something like dumb popcorn, Fast and Furious racing car action movie. And instead, I got this dreamlike, thought-provoking, character study, allegorical, incredible work of art that just blew me away the first time I saw it. In LaGrange Theater, of all places. Oh, the good uh, old LaGrange Theater. The good old LaGrange Theater. Uh, and I walked out absolutely. I had to pick my jaw up off the floor. Uh, never has there been a bait and switch on me like that in a movie where I went in expecting one thing and got so completely 180 the other uh, in such a great way. You're you're like, ba- like every single word you just said explains my experience watching the hit 1997 film Ants at LaGrange <laughs> Theater when I thought I was seeing The Bug's Life. I know. <laughs> Other fun LaGrange Theater story. My brother and I saw the Ben Affleck Daredevil there. Oh, man. And, yeah. For the first 20 minutes in the movie, the movie was playing on half of the screen and the other half was playing on the wall. Uh, this is when LaGrange Theater wasn't the the fine, upstanding establishment it is today. <laughs> and so everyone got free popcorn and movie tickets. I was I was also wrong. Ants came out in 1998. I'm very ashamed. Uh, so I apologize to all the ants heads out there. We got um, a lot of them. Yeah, there's a lot of them out there. Thousands, but, really. I mean, ants on the planet Earth. I mean, quadrillions. Yeah. Trillions, James. yeah. 
Um, but so I, I went home and I, I just pondered this movie. I thought about it. I thought about the characters, the writing, the themes, the story, the the kind of hopeless situations that the characters get trapped in. And this movie just stayed with me. And the second I could, I bought it on Blu-ray and I recommended it to you know anyone I could. I watched this movie at least 10 times. I watched this movie with many people uh, introducing them to it. And I, this is a movie that I introduced to many, many people to, and I've never once had a bad negative or poor reaction oh, to it. That's good. You haven't introduced it to Miranda then. Okay. Well, I think I might have a bad <laughs> negative or poor reaction yeah. from Miranda. No, no, you wouldn't have to because I've already introduced, I, I, we didn't watch it together, but um, I've already, she's aware of the movie. <laughs> Doesn't she know how beautiful the kiss in the elevator is? Yeah, it is. It is. This is. Yeah. It's very beautiful. Yeah. Um, I, so I, I knew about this movie when it was coming out of a Cannes Film Festival in 2011. I had been basically starting in college. I've been like following news coming out of the Cannes Film Festival every single year. I was like, that's college is when I just started trying to watch everything. And I would get very, very excited about a lot of movies. Well, a lot of movies coming out of Cannes, but there'll be certain ones where I'm like, I must see this for one reason or another, just like hearing word of mouth kind of stuff, um, report and reading reviews coming out of Cannes and drive was one of these. Um, another one of them was antichrist. <laughs> uh, I think you're going to say ants. No, <laughs> I don't know. It'd be funny if ants was premiered at the Cannes film festival. I mean, Woody, Woody Allen was Allen involved. Film. So it's possible yeah. it could have been, but yeah, um, so I knew the movie was so coming out of Cannes, I knew it was not a typical action movie. So I knew more than you did going into the first viewing. I knew that it was there were things about it that were shocking audiences. I knew it got a standing ovation and I knew, as we'll mention, it it, it won awards at Cannes. And that's kind of all I knew. And so I was just so excited. And when so when I saw it, I was still like totally blown away. And there's a part uh, I'll mention it when we get to it. And when we talk about the movie, there was a, there was a point during the movie where I was like, is this the best movie I've ever seen? <laughs> um, it's not. Um, and, but I, I was, I walked out of the theater being like, that is one of the best movies I've seen in a while. I have rewatched it many, many times since less. So in basically since like the pandemic, but um, more so like in the, I don't know, six to seven years that followed its release. I watch it a lot. And I would say that I have, I like it a little bit less now than I did before. And that's not to say I don't like, cause I loved it. I still love it. It is just, there are things that I am noticing more about it that are just elements about the movie that kind of bother me that didn't used to. And again, totally, I wouldn't say they're minor things. They're pretty big things about the movie, uh, what the movie is, but they're not, they're little in the sense that they don't like damper my enjoyment very much. Um, and so th you're going to hear a, a lot of praise from me about this. So I, I think we're very, we're very close to being on the same page with this. I think at least I think overall, we, I think we are because I would echo the arc you just discussed. Um, I, I have very fond feelings for this film, but I have noticed things here and there as the years go by. And as I get older and my sensibilities change um, that I'm like, exactly. Eh. You know, like I maybe would have like changed this one thing or like mm, I maybe you would have used a song with different lyrics or things like that. 
nothing that completely alters my overall perception of the movie but Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's not a perfect movie in my eyes anymore it never was um but yeah a great movie a movie worth talking about yeah and but i do love and this is like a I, I, I'm trying to think of other movies where I where I thought this hereditary was definitely one of them where there was like a point during the movie. And sometimes it's just like a half an hour to an hour in where you're like, this movie is perfect. Like, could it actually go all the way and finish up and just make me feel this way the entire time? And I I I treasure experiences like that, even if it doesn't stick a landing. But like. I I really think like the first hour of this movie is like damn near perfect. It's pretty, and, yeah, it's pretty yeah. incredible. Yeah. Um, funny you mentioned Ari Aster. We can talk about it and what we've done, but um, we had a similar arc during Bo is Afraid. We both yeah. looked at each other. Yeah. Um, and in that film, there was a point in that movie where uh, I felt if this can keep making me feel this way and keep going and stick this landing, exactly. this is going to be one of my favorite film going experiences of this year. Um, yeah. We'll, I, we'll talk a little bit more about Boa's afraid when we talk about what we did, but uh, I just kind of had that connection between the two. Yeah. And I, I'll try to find good times to talk about this, but I, I have a lot of thoughts about Nicholas uh, winning Reffin for like, so I, I, as I told you before, I rewatched only God forgives in addition to rewatching this um, because I wanted to get a little bit of a reminder of the things about him that I don't like. Uh, I, I actually wish I would have watched only God forgives before watching drive. I think it was, it was interesting watching it after because especially because only God forgives came out, you know, a couple of years after it was widely anticipated just because of the success of drive. And I think I, like you, I mean, we're not going to do a whole podcast on only God forgives. Oh, I guess we could, um being massively let down yeah by it. agreed um it it basically was tapping into nicholas winning reference like worst impulses and some of those impulses are on display here and i think one of the reasons i love this is a very broad discussion hopefully i'll provide more context for it when we dig in deeper but one of the things i love most about the first like 45 minutes to an hour of the movie is it's he's not tapping into those impulses as much those worse impulses but they come out later on broad strokes very heavy violence yeah um indulging on that i think that he and i guess i'll just say it now because i i introduced yeah. you to this this idea why is don't like we, why don't we just jump into nicholas winning reffing corner for a moment yeah because he's kind of in the notes but why don't we just discuss him in relation to this movie yeah so he is danish right he's danish yes filmmaker um who kind of like rose to like underground cult success through the pusher trilogy which uh starred mads mickelson i believe i have only seen pusher one uh i don't i did not find it to be very memorable uh i'm not sure have have you seen any of them um being the buff on danish film that i am i have (laughs) but uh, i'm gonna pretend that i didn't Really? Are you joking? I no, I'm, I'm joking. I okay. have not seen it. Um, and then so I saw this and then I was like, OK, well, I got to go. I got to go like dig in. That's why I watched Pusher One. And then I watched Valhalla Rising and I was like, OK, that's it's interesting. Like I, he he makes some bold choices. I couldn't quite get a grasp on him. I feel like until I saw Only God Forgives. And then I was like, OK, I'm starting to see some themes and what he does and then when i tried to watch neon demon and didn't finish it 
Um, there weren't, it wasn't just like, I think this movie's so bad. I have to stop. There were like other factors involved, but like, I really wasn't digging that movie. Um, and it kind of just like reaffirmed what I thought about him. And I, and I, and the other thing that it will reaffirms what I think about him is just something I texted you, um, was he said he's friends with Hideo Kojima, <laughs> which makes so much sense. Uh, it, it's so funny. They have both very bad tendencies, examples, style over substance. Yes. Writing and visually. Yes. Um, and treatment of women in oh, their yeah. art. That is like the most glaring one. And it's the one that is like basically to, to get a little bit of ahead of ourselves. Like it's not until Blanche shows up. We're just kind of like, oh, uh, like, I mean, it's Irene. And I'm not saying this is a diss on the movie. Like Irene is more of like an idea of a person than yes. a person, which again, I not all movies need to like stray away from that i think you can do that very artistically but when you combine that with a very blunt example of like treating women as like objects to move the plot along and accessories and just have no interesting things to say about them in terms of the dialogue and are just totally uninterested in what they're thinking outside of how they drive the male protagonist to do what they do it's it's really off-putting uh and it's something that i think was off-putting not just now but like on my rewatches like over the course of the last like decade or so or more since it came out interesting i um now that you say it i've never done a gender read uh of this film definitely done a gender read of neon demon but i i've done some look I, i've looked into this winding ruffin character i've, I've done some <laughs> digging yeah and he is um either delightfully or infuriatingly insane uh, have you yeah. seen interviews of him yes he how would you describe him like his his affect his his vibe he i feel like he's a lunatic that is in that is inside a very put together looking yes. and well-spoken man yes <laughs> um like i was watching an interview with him and he was talking about reading the script for the first time and we should mention that the reason he is directing drive or direct to drive is he was chosen by Ryan Gosling. Yeah. Ryan Gosling was attached to this by the producers. They gave him the freedom to pick a director. He had admired uh, Nicholas Winding Ruffin and chose him. Um, so that's how we got here. And Nicholas Winding Ruffin is telling a story about how he called uh, Ryan Gosling sobbing because he said he got really high, read the script, hated it, and instead wanted to make a movie about a getaway driver. And Ryan Gosling told him that's what the script was about. <laughs> like shit like that <laughs> yeah uh yeah um, he's he, he does seem like he, he seems the kind of person where you could have like dinner with him and have just the most delightful conversation but inside his mind are like things that like bats and fire yeah yeah, yeah. and <clears throat> i should i should mention i overlooked the movie bronson um the other thing that nicholas winning Revan is very obviously in, um and neon demon is funny because it's a little bit of a contrast to, to that i suppose he's very interested in violent men Yes. Like as men who are willing to go to great violent lengths to do things. I mean, Bronson is like a movie uh, uh, based off a real person who's just like a vicious like murderer. Yeah. Um, the Valhalla Rising is a very I mean, it's, it's about a very like violent man. This is about that. Only God Forgives, God forgives. is like basically that with like absolutely zero redeeming qualities Um, other than, you know, the fact that he's willing to recognize that his brother is an idiot, like enough about only God forgives. Um, yeah. So I think very, though, very violent men. 
Very Violent Men. I think also the reason why this movie may stay on the rails as much as it does is that this was adopted from a novel called Drive. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, this was written by someone other than Nicholas Winding Refn. It was written by a man named Hossein Amini, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, most of Nicholas Winding Refn's other things that I've seen, like Neon Demon, Only God Forgives, that's pretty much all him. Yep. And Neon Demon, a movie which I respect and I really like, uh, definitely has way more flaws than this, but I, I still appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen material about that film, and he's openly said, like, I didn't really even have the ending of the movie when I was making it. Like, <laughs> I decided to make this one character a villain because I saw one thing she did on the shoot once, and then we, like, ran with it. Like, he just doesn't seem, he seems like a very fly-by-night, like, seat of his pants um, like burning both ends of the candle inspiration kind of person, mm-hmm. um, which those people can show bursts of brilliance, but I feel like they need to be heavily kind of guided and directed, which, you know, I think this script did. I like a wannabe Lynch in the sense that he wants to kind of like innovate on the spot based on like bright ideas he has, but he just needs a little bit of restraint. Right. Whereas Maybe. like, Lynch, it all is like of a piece with his. Well, I guess th- it's of a piece with Nicholas Winding Refn style too. But like you said, it's like a lot of his impulses perhaps aren't the best. Lynch might not have been the best comparison. There's a, not a lot of great similarities between the two of them. Um, yeah, but, yeah. Um, but a little bit more about the novel. The novel itself, which I have not read, um, Drive is a very precious film to me, and I've gone back and forth on thinking like, <laughs> well. Will the book impact my viewing of the movie? Will the movie impact my appreciation of the book? So I've just kind of let it sit. Yeah. But it does have many flashbacks and it jumps around in time. So it has a very nonlinear structure. Uh, And Amini found that challenging um, to be able to fit that into a feature film. Yeah. Which makes sense. Um, You could see how you could recut this film out of order and still make it work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, when Refn read the screenplay, he was, I kind of told you a little bit, but he was also more intrigued by the concept of a man having a split personality. Now I read that and I don't know how literal Nicholas winning Refn was going with a split personality, but knowing him, he may have been going literal with it. We need to, we need to really talk about the driver as a character because I, I'm not sure I totally have a grasp on it, but I can tell you at least what I thought when I first saw the movie i'm not exactly sure how i feel now maybe i'll discover that as we talk we i view him as two separate characters and we can talk about that when we get to him okay um but yeah so uh something about oscar isaac i just wanted to put this note in here because uh watching this has reaffirmed my belief that oscar isaac is one of the best actors working today without a doubt uh so his role in here in this film is not super large and it's kind of you know a shitty role and it's a little bit of a negative stereotype too yeah and so basically uh this role could have been very stereotypical um and not fleshed out but basically there's a quote saying where he sat down with nicholas winning refin and he gave the character of standard all these you know backstories and dreams and hopes which you do as an actor um but i think that actually shines through in the film because the role of standard could have been very thankless um but i think oscar isaac ele- elevates it quite a bit i agree but i still when i watch it i see his character as such a threat to the relationship i want to exist but well, then I, yeah. but then i'm reminded that like it's a relationship that just can't exist for yeah. numerous reasons 
Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about the music because uh, music in this film, use of it, the kind, the style, sublime. So, yeah. So the music is by Cliff Martinez. I think he was like one of the original drummers or, for, or some musician for the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Not that yeah. that really is relevant here. Um, but it's I mean, overall, the music is very like 80s inspired, like almost like synth wave inspired. And there are some really just fantastic needle drops in this movie about like songs I'd never heard before that, but, but you better believe that I, I played this soundtrack over and over and over again as I was driving to and from work uh, for a while, Um, for many years. I don't own vinyls, but if I owned one vinyl, it would be this soundtrack. It's funny. I do own vinyls. And like this was like re-released recently as like an anniversary uh, collection. I didn't buy it. And I don't remember why I think, I don't know. I, the, it's no, it's no slight against the movie. I just don't, I don't know why, why I didn't. Because you don't it, but, need it, probably, but, probably. But, um, yeah. but yeah, like, but outside of the needle drops, I mean, there's, there's, yeah, there's a little bit of like a, the soundtrack's a little bit understated at times, um, but other times it's very showy, and it's, it, it, it this movie is kind of a vibe, and feel weird saying it like that, but it, it is, it is, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm into it, and I mean, one of the positive things I'll say about Nicholas Winning Rip and, and. Revan and his is like his typical just filmmaking is visually like his movies are interesting and only God forgives. I feel like I like it less and less um, more. I think about it, but I still would say it's above average just because I enjoy visually watching it for the most part. Well, um, and the performances, I mean, yeah, well, this in particular, I mean, only God forgives is really only it's just like getting by purely on visuals and, and music. Uh, it doesn't have a lot of whole lot else in it uh but this is like got a lot more going for it obviously um but anyway um music was one of the many things that critics were like loving about this uh this film yeah the visuals the music the performances it was criticized for its graphic violence i also criticized it for that at first i didn't i mean when i walked out of the theater i was just like yeah like yeah it's artsy it's so artsy i was like those those sudden bursts of like intense violence like it's so it's so like it was necessary like you're really pushing the envelope like but the more i think about it, it's like you the movie would be just truly fantastic even without it um, agreed so and and it's not and it's not like just take out the scenes entirely there's like a level of like fetishism just dial it back is, yeah that's so evident um, he's it's it's clearly like I you you can tell when a director is like I want to push the envelope with this scene, I want to get this reaction, I want it to be shocking. I was thinking about that uh, with regard to the violence, and I was thinking that it's almost like you could if you just cut like one little shot or cut one little like split second shot, mm-hmm. you would take out a lot of that hyper violence. Right. And the movie would still be fine. And just, or just cut away when someone's getting their head blown off instead of just being like, all right, now let's get the prosthetic head and let's show it get blown <laughs> off. You know what I mean? Well, okay. Can we at least give the man credit for not using any CGI? Yeah. Well, absolutely. Big, yeah. big props for that. Um, so this movie won Best Director at Cannes. That was like the final nail in like the I need to see this coffin. Um, I would try to see like anything that won Best Director at Cannes. It was nominated for Best Sound Editing at the Oscars. Did not win. I totally forgot that it was nominated for anything. Um, but there was a lot of I remember a lot of hype in the circles I was running with um, that Albert Brooks would be nominated for Best Supporting Actor. I think it is a travesty we, that he yeah. was not. Yeah. Absolutely uh, and I forgot who won that year, but probably should have won any uh, also. Um, 
really like it's it's I was reminded actually kind of how little he's in the movie. Um, it, it feels like he's not in the movie very much, and that's not a criticism at all. I think they use him. He is he, to great effect in the amount of scenes that he is in. Well, yeah, and we'll talk about it too. But um, when we get to the character of Nino, but Bernie versus Nino, Nino feels like a movie character. Bernie, especially with Brooks playing him, he he feels like a real person. It, it's it's great. I, I and I don't know if that was intentional or not, but I think it works really well. I feel like people you could like throw a criticism at the film that Nino is like a caricature, but I he think is. it works so much better. It amplifies Bernie by comparison by having those oh, two yeah. like you know argue with each other and stuff, but. Yeah, he, Bernie feels like a real person, and and the, the real like the real hype around this was that Albert Brooks is totally playing against type. I am not like a, the biggest Albert Brooks head. I haven't seen like many of his movies and performances, but from what I have seen, I mean, he's this is nothing like he plays in well, other films. I mean, yes and no, because he's always very affable and always very personable mm-hmm. and kind of quick witted, and he's yeah. all of those things in this role. Um, it's almost like if you showed every scene minus the end scene with Shannon, you'd be like, all right, he's okay. <laughs> like he's a good well, guy. Well, not every scene. What about Maybe the, not every what scene. about the eyeball? Oh god, yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. Never mind. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if you took those scenes out and you showed someone, you'd be like, Is he the villain? Like, I don't really even know. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's very it's 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 a great performance. We'll we'll talk yeah. more about it. Um he's obviously having a ton of fun, which yeah. which shines through and is part of why I appreciate it. So a little more about Nicholas Wing Reffin, but more in the spe- specific context t- context of this movie's directing style and like the overall style of the movie. And this is a this is set in the modern day. It's very eighties inspired, not in the sense that there's a lot of eighties like memorabilia where you can't quite tell what uh, what decade you're in. It, it's obviously very much the modern day. Um, there is just a lot of beautiful imagery and great use of lighting. And we'll talk a little bit more about very specific uses of lighting. I'm sure at least in one particular scene. But, it's based yeah. on the the colors and kind of the neon vibe. Uh, you almost expect this movie to be set in Miami, uh, like yeah. 80s Miami, and it's not. It's it's like you said, current day LA. But if you almost imagine 80s Miami Vice kind of vibe, that's yeah. the feel you get. And the one thing that a lot of movies falter on is like when they're sh- when you're shooting at night, especially if you are doing kind of shooting that involves a lot of quick cuts and like heavy. Um, or like yeah, like high, heavy cutting or like high, high volume of cutting, like for action sequences, it like it, it's disorienting. Um, but as we'll talk about, the opening scene, which takes place at night, is very like restrained. Um, and I think this movie is at its best when it's showing restraint, while still being very like visually beautiful. But like L.A. at night looks beautiful in this in this movie, and all night night scenes look beautiful. And I, a great double feature for this would be collateral michael mann's collateral mm, um, i have not seen that with, oh it's um, it, tom cruise oh it's wonderful i would love to do that for this show uh another m- movie that, uh, with a lot of like la at night but it basically just takes place entirely in la at night just excellent excellent movie um yeah so the, you know uh revin uses uh wide wide angle lenses he didn't want to use any handheld cameras which is another thing that is just think bless bless him for that (laughs) um and as you mentioned he avoids cgi i don't know if he avoided it entirely um i would love hopefully but like i think when it came to all like the like the violence and stuff that was all practical effects if he did use cgi he used it perfectly in that we can't tell 
Yeah, right. Yeah. And and yeah. one thing that he that he has said that he tries to do is to convey character thoughts and emotion through minimal use of dialogue. Um so like in it, like instead of like having characters like explain their feelings in awkward moments of silence, he holds on those characters during those moments of silence. And I think so I both think that that is very effective and also him uh, giving himself too much credit in the <laughs> yes. sense that I don't think that a lot of these characters have much they're thinking about. Like, I, I wouldn't say there's a wide depth of emotion in a lot of scenes. There's There, there are key dri- scenes with Driver and Irene that I think are done very well, but I'm not I'm not feeling like a a wide array of emotions coming off either one of them. It's more of like a, I like you, I like you, but let's not say it out loud. Let's just kind of look at each other lovingly. And I think that, that I like that. I'm not, I'm not trying to criticize the movie for doing that, but it's not like these two are having like philosophical feeling like no, discussions or something no. through a lack of dialogue. I think the way you might put it best is that instead of those moments being like the characters lost in their internal worlds, which I agree with you, I don't think they are. It's almost like those moments are like basking in a certain feeling. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you get like two and a half seconds of like whatever feeling the driver is feeling or Irene is feeling. um, And like, you get to feel it with them. I almost kind of see it that way. I love that. And it, and, and it works really well. It I think really, so. it's really they're, they're t- the movie. And it's, oh, most of this is just done at the beginning. It's just very beautiful. Um, the way that the way that he does this. And, and I think there's nothing wrong with saying that maybe this movie isn't, it's not very emotionally deep um, or it's not as emotionally deep as I thought it was the first time, because I think it, well, for what it is, it's excellent. It's, it's a really good movie. And I think we both recommend it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, you know, we'll get to it, but I had similar thoughts to the end of this film uh, as I did The Catcher in the Rye, which I think this Mm. movie oddly has weird parallels to. Interesting. I'd like to hear a little bit more about Um, that. Yeah. But should we jump into it? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So we get our intro sequence. Um, We get uh, our... Do you want to tell us about the the pink font, the Drive logo? It's it's kind of iconic of the movie now. It's And so I'll I'll talk about this in like contrast to... uh, well, the 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 menu, the the Blu-ray menu and the Blu-ray cover is is that I have is really funny, um, because okay. this is there's like a it's a like a not like cursive is it or it's maybe it's a little cursive. it's like a script yeah it's like a very like a like a a pink script uh, it's not like I mean it's showy but it's not like obnoxious uh, I really like it 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 really kind of immediately sets the tone for this I mean I guess the 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 posters had it too but what's funny about the Blu-ray is that the cover is just this big, like, all caps, like, nothing like this font, just, like, drive. And it's just, like, a picture of him, like, holding a hammer with, like, a car in the background. And the the DVD or, like, the Blu-ray menu is, like, almost, like, makes you think you're about to watch a Fast and the Furious Yes, (laughs) yes. And you're like, what the... Like, I couldn't remember about... remember that, and I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) This is hilarious. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's this movie, like, like we touched on briefly, I, I don't know how if I was on the marketing team for this film, I'd be like, how the fuck are we going to do this? Like, how are we marketing this like thoughtful crime drama that's slow and plotting yet has these ultra bursts of violence and driving? Like, what, yeah. what do we do with this? I mean, I get the goal of trying to show 
like a car chase or like you know a car flipping over and like show some of the action but it is extremely misleading but like yeah i mean what else are you gonna do i don't know that i get people in the seats like people who don't know about word of mouth of this film like you gotta people who people who don't know what drivers are (laughs) yeah um so speaking of we get the driver we're just gonna call him the driver uh he does not have a name he is credited as driver Mm -hmm. uh in my head i call him either driver or in my head i will call him deluxe um, or Steve we'll or no or Steve, sure or Ryan <laughs> no. um no but I like I call him deluxe because the story we hear later I'm like okay like if he canonically has a name in my head he's deluxe yeah um but he starts by saying this line that we will hear him say again you give me a time and a place I give you a five minute window anything happens in that five minutes and I'm yours no matter what anything happens a minute either side of that and you're on your own and wow. so that is him talking to someone that he is uh, presumably going to drive on a heist with. Yeah. Gosling's character, the driver, is a heist driver, a getaway driver, uh, in addition to another job. But uh, we first see him doing this. Yeah. We get the music, the song Tick of the Clock starts playing and builds. And it's going throughout the whole scene. Yeah. Starts very low key as kind of this like undercurrent on what's going on, like dun 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. Yep. And it kind of increases in intensity as this whole opening scene is playing out. But never builds to a point of like a massive like crescendo of no. like this is the action part. Like it just it just it's only really serves to like provide a little bit of tension. And this movie has tension. This movie ratchets up tension and uh relieves tension in a very masterful way. I've seen this movie so many times and um, before many key moments where sudden bursts of action happen and then when they resolve, I am tensed up on the edge of my seat. Yeah. Uh, I had to physically relax myself when I was watching this with Edgar after certain <laughs> moments. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's let's talk about the driver. What does he look like? Uh, you know, we talked a little bit about his personality. What else? Yeah, he like he just doesn't talk. He has a like a toothpick in his mouth quite often. He wears these like brown driving gloves, these like leather brown driving gloves. He has this like it's not white. I mean, I guess maybe it's a little white, it's like off white, maybe like the scorpion jacket, which is like everyone at Halloween was wearing that jacket <laughs> that year. And still people like even a couple of years following it, you might you still see some people sometimes wearing this jacket. It's a cool jacket. Yeah, he uh, he, he like. It's 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 really funny, like at the beginning of the movie, especially when he's talking less, like he gets talked to and sometimes he just doesn't respond like he's not like it's not like he's like missing brain cells like or he's not like stoic. He's just like he he smiles. He nods. He just is a man of very few words. And what's funny is when he doesn't respond to people that he probably should be responding to, like mobsters, you know, who yeah. get easily annoyed. Yeah. Um, um, but he's very yeah, cool. I- He's very much like his actions speak louder than words because he doesn't really say any words like you yeah. said, but he like exudes cool. He's very cool. Um, effortlessly cool, I would say. Yeah. Um. So the driver goes to Shannon shop. Shannon played by Brian Cranston. Uh, I realized we didn't lay out the cast at the beginning, but we can oh, that's okay. we'll do it we as go. we go. Yeah. So Shannon played by Brian Cranston. All we know about him right now is that he owns a mechanic shop. So uh, the driver's picking up a getaway car and he gets a silver Impala, uh, the most popular car in the state of California. So he can (laughs) blend in. Yeah. Um, Describe Shannon. Let's talk about Shannon for a second. So I mean, the most noticeable thing about Shannon is that he walks with a limp. 
Um, and he and has like, like a hunched big over leg brace on. Yeah. 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 We find um, out later uh, what that is. Shannon has, and I think this is telling, will to remind me to return to it later, but Shannon has three tattoos. Um, he has two stars on his upper left neck, and he has a really stupid looking tattoo on one of his forearms. Why um, do you why don't you want to talk about it now? We can talk about it now, but it gets into Shannon's character. Oh, I mean, um, ah, I might Shannon, forget to, to remind you about that's it, fine. but I'll try. Because the movie seems to advocate many times that Shannon has bad luck. But I think if you look <laughs> at his character and you look at all the things he does and all the little things about him. No, he's just an, he's just an idiot. He makes very bad choices. Yes. And so like the tattoos, he has two stars on like that, like that, that was intentional. Like mm-hmm. Brian Cranston doesn't have those tattoos. Like that, that was part of designing the character. And I guarantee you that those tattoos are like Brian Cranston's like, this is a character who makes bad choices. He would get two stupid tattoos, three, and they would all be awful decisions. That's a gr- that's a great point. Because, yeah, uh, Shannon makes one very awful, awful decision during this movie. And then we are we hear about, you know, the reason he got the limp that he has is because of another stupid decision he made. They're all bad decisions. Everything he does. Yeah. Um, so one note about the car, uh, Shannon tells him that even though it looks ordinary, it's got 300 horsepower on the inside. Mm-hmm. So the car, like the driver, the driver looks ordinary on the outside, but the movie would like to suggest that he is oh, much more. Very nice. Very um, nice. Whether we think that's true or we agree with that, if there is more on the inside of the driver, we can talk about. Well, but... I mean, there clearly is. I mean, at a minimum, just because of what he's capable of that we see later true no but it was a good observation yeah um a little detail that we learned here that's indicative of kind of how the driver is talked about um we learned the driver doesn't smoke because shannon tells him like oh do you need anything like caffeine benzedrine nicotine he's like oh that's right you don't smoke that's probably like better for you yeah um it's very much like a jrpg with a silent protagonist and everyone else is kind of talking about them and that's how we find out about them which is like super you got you either like that kind of thing or you don't. And sometimes I don't like it. Uh, I like it here. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Agreed. I think it works fine here. Yeah. Um, as the driver is driving, again, we get these beautiful shots of LA at night. We get the like light on the glass. And what I like, too, is that other films with less restraint or that, well, this movie, this movie has an interesting relationship with the, the idea of restraint. But a different film would have focused on like big flashy streets like downtown L.A. This movie is very content to show you the side streets and kind of the side dark alleys, which is something you don't get a lot of. in Yeah, it it romanticizes L.A. in in an unconventional way. Yes. So he's listening to a basketball game on the radio. um, And the first time I saw this, I was like, that's weird. Is he a basketball fan? Like, what's going on? We'll get to the payoff of that. Yeah, great. He said he sets his watch and he waits for two men to complete a robbery. They've been waiting across the street. Puts his watch on the steering wheel. Interesting little like visual thing. Yeah, like takes his watch off and like wraps it around the steering wheel and watches. Um, Fun tidbit about the watch. Uh, I was talking with my friend Andrew about this movie, uh, knowing that we'd be doing it. Mm-hmm. And he was saying he tried to buy that watch. Um, he looked into what kind of watch that is. It's not a real watch, but the prop department used a modified diving watch. 
Interesting. Um, which are known for being able to time things very precisely. Interesting. I love well, it. and Andrew and I were talking about this and we were saying like, that's actually in a meta way, very indicative of the driver's character because the driver probably would use a modified deck. Like he would oh, make absolutely. watch. Yeah. It make, makes total purpose. sense. He's very particular about time and I, you know, it's funny. I, it'd be great to imagine this uh, movie actually just being about the violence that punctual people really want to commit when other people, <laughs> when things don't go the way that, uh, and people aren't on time. Um, if there's one thing we can say about the driver and his personality, he is a control freak. Yeah. Like what he does to the guy in the elevator is like what I want to do when people are late. <laughs> Agreed. I feel like it, uh, I, I really should not be saying that out loud. That's that makes me sound like a fucking insane person. Well, the next time I text you being like, I'll be on in five minutes, I'm going to be like, oh, shit. <laughs> um, I take it back. I take it back. So, uh he is using a police scanner uh, to scan for what's going around in the neighborhood. Uh, and despite hearing police chatter uh, about the crime that's being committed, he waits. Uh, he waits very you know, patiently in the car. And one man comes back, the other doesn't. And he still waits. He's a man of his word. The clock is still ticking. He's not going to leave them until the five minutes is done. So the second man finally comes back. They have the money. They're in the car. He pulls away. Using the information from the police radio, the driver is able to avoid the police uh, and even helicopters. Mm -hmm. This felt very much to me like a GTA uh, like mission. Um, he's zooming around through the streets over a bridge um, and he winds up finding a hiding spot underneath a bridge. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the driving in this movie in general. We've kind of already talked about how. Like if you really like squinted your eyes and you didn't know anything about this movie, you'd be like, oh, is this like a Fast and Furious alike? Um, and the driving is very stylized mm -hmm. and very over the top. But restrained. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. It, it, it's like it's it's like an, it's a pretty amazing like antithesis to typical movie getaway car getaways like this scene. Like a lot of it is slow. He's driving slowly. He's driving on the back streets. He's trying to avoid being seen, hiding in darkness. The almost the entirety of the scene is shot from like the interior of the car. Yeah. Instead of flashy like exterior shots that, you know, would be more common in a very like high speed chase. He speeds up like only when he's spotted and then he quickly gets out of sight. Um, like, you know, a cop will spot him at the traffic light and he'll get away and you know, he'll drive fast. So he, and then, you know, ends up where he ends up I'll, i won't i won't spoil that i'll let you let you do that yeah i think part of the tension in this scene and what makes it work really well is that everyone is quiet yeah you would think that the two men in the back seat would be telling him like hurry up man like we gotta go get out of here which would be a way to on paper ratchet up the tension like the two criminals are you know really anxious but i think it works better with all three of them being so hushed um yeah by kind of what's going on totally agree it, it's like you're all automatically in a different movie when yeah if you have all yeah. those guys being like come on man yeah that'd be like tarantino town yeah um which like i think drive lives in like the same state as tarantino town but they're <laughs> definitely not like sister cities yeah very much so. i mean <laughs> the albert brooks character is like it does feel like a, a tarantino character and i say that with a lot of love blanche could be in a tarantino film no, honestly, <laughs> Tarantino is even when he is at his worst for like female characters like Blanche is this is like Blanche is a terrible character. <laughs> we're just where you get into that. Yeah, just awful. 
but to lose the chase and to get away from the cops, this is brilliant. I love this. Yeah. The driver has been timing uh, all of this to when the basketball game is going to end. That's why he's been listening to it on the radio. So he pulls into the stadium just as the game is ending and slips away, blending into the crowd. Brilliant. Brilliant. Put throws on his uh, L.A. Clippers hat. And yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's no word said to the robbers. He just gets out of the car. Yep. It's awesome. So then we get our opening credits. Uh, he is driving around L.A. at night. Uh, similar shots from inside the car. Um, similar beautiful scenes of driving around L.A. As Kavinsky's Night Call plays. Such um, a good song. Yeah, let's talk about it a little bit. Um, let's talk about all the songs that are played because I I love them across the board. The first time I saw the film, uh, I think they're great in yep. terms of uh, like songs, but I think at least one of them is a little out of place in the film because it like hits the nail on the head a little too hard. In terms Interesting. Of okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Nicola, I love. I think it works perfectly. I think it fits the vibe of the the movie. Um, how would you describe Nicola? When that heavy hitting like synth beat hits, like I I think I like turned to who I was with, or I just thought, thought it in my head like this is the coolest movie I've ever seen. <laughs> like it, <laughs> it gave me goosebumps. Like the end of that scene being so cool, and then cutting to this dope credit song. Um, yeah, it's synth, synthy, and like the the the. The vocals are like robotic almost how like or like a guy who's like using a uh, a very heavy like synth filter. Yeah. Like, yeah. Ro- yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just thinking about the lyrics. I've heard this song so many times. It's like there's something about you or there's something about you. Uh, um, I can't go here. There's anyway, something the, inside you. you it's that's hard, hard to, to explain. explain. There's something Talking about you, about you, you boy. boy, but you're still the same. same. Anyway, the lyrics are literally like, there's something about you. There's something special about you <laughs> inside. And it's just like, we get it. Like, I know where you're asking us to see more of the driver, like the interior of the driver than we see on the outside. And I understand that. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like this song and actually like I, kind of all the songs are like maybe a little too heavy handed in terms of theming like that. You know, it's funny. I, I never thought of it that way. I, there are a lot of times where I just won't pay attention to lyrics, um, even though like I, it's like I hear them. I hear the words. But I don't like put it together in my mind that it's like being a little too blunt. I always um, so it never them, bothered me. I pair them with the scene just because I usually listen with subtitles on. The subtitles frequently will play the lyrics. So you yeah, can see them. Um, so that's really the only reason why I noticed so specifically about these. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's the opening of this film. You're just like, I was completely just at the edge of my seat drawn in 100% like this this opening if you haven't seen this film and you're still listening stop like go watch the opening watch the rest of the movie yeah so I'm gonna carry us basically like the next whole like I don't know the next act of the movie or like including the this opening scene like I'll, I'll talk about the, like the rest of this act of the film and it's 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 definitely my favorite part about the movie because it's the kind that shows the most restraint and has um, the emotions that we were talking about before uh, and some of like the stylized scenes with with Driver and other characters where he's not saying very much, um, especially like his romantic interest. It, it, it's really it's really quite excellent. So we next get uh, Driver in the elevator with Irene, who's played by Carrie Mulligan. Um, one of Carrie Mulligan's first roles, if not her first role, after she was nominated for an Oscar in an education, where she was very good. That was like the first time I had ever seen her. Um, 
they exchanged like no words. Um, so we're already off to the races on that. Well, and I, so I noticed this about their interaction. They kind of do the thing uh, where they sort of look at each other, but not, not at the same time. If this were well, a lesser that, movie, they'd look at each other at the same time and they'd have like an, you know, their eyes meet and like, Oh, yeah. okay. But they I am, both look yeah. at each other asynchronously. And then the camera lingers on them walking down the hallway asynchronously, like one in front of the other. And it just made me, think and remember like when you're attracted to someone like that like so immediately even just walking behind them or knowing that they're walking behind you you can like feel that heat yes yes absolutely i'm such a sucker for that kind of stuff uh especially the asynchronous like looking at each other thing i'm so some well, one of my favorite movies uh before sunrise has a scene like that that i or actually and before sunset i love it anyway yeah. um so then we cut to we got the driver at work. Um, he's a stunt driver on a movie set and he's, you know, doing a rollover. He barely says a word. He, uh, he puts this like bald, like rubber head on um, to make him look like it's someone else. Uh, and that will become that'll come back later. Edgar was like, that doesn't make him look like anyone. That makes him look like he's wearing a mask. Yeah, right. It does not look like a person, but I guess, you know, in shooting, it doesn't have to. Um, so we get a, like a little shots of him driving around more. He goes to the grocery store and he notices Irene and her son Benicio. Um, and then there's this really interesting moment where he's like, he's walking to, I really like this. I don't understand the choice, but I just, I dig it. Um, he's like walks to his car and the camera's just on him. And he's like about to put his, like, uh, his groceries away. And then he turns and he looks at something off out of frame. And you're like, what? And he just kind of lingers a little bit. And then the camera kind of like pans over and you see that, she is having car issues and her car is in need of repair. And he kind of walks, puts his groceries down and walks over to help her. It's, it's such a, a minor visual choice. Uh, I don't know why I like it so much. I, so let's talk about that scene with the grocery store in the car. I agree with you. I love that pan um, mm-hmm. just because, yeah, we have no idea what he's looking at. And then when we do, it's almost like this, you get this smile like, oh, it's her. Um, which is what the driver must be thinking. Yeah. Uh, but in the grocery store, very tellingly, he turns down the aisle, sees Irina Benicio, and turns away and goes down a different aisle. Yeah. And then he listens to their conversation a bit. But I don't get this. I don't get a creep vibe from him. Well, well, no, I don't get a creep vibe. But here's a question for you. Um, based on the way that scene is constructed in the parking lot, we see him walking away from the direction of Irene's car. He puts his groceries on the car, waits a minute, and then turns to look. I don't think this is what happened in my head canon, but I leave it open for possibility. Do you <laughs> think he fucked with Irene's yeah, car? Yeah, I had a feeling you were going to ask that. In order to like manufacture a reason to talk to her? Uh, now he knows, it, Because yeah. he knows about cars and he can do it really easily. Now is the time to maybe have the conversation. We won't get deep into it because we're going to be giving a lot away by having it now. Um, is that this guy is actually completely fucking crazy? He could be. He could be. I I don't like that reading of it. It makes the movie very much less. Like if if Nicholas winning uh, Revan was just like, yeah, he's actually in total psychopath, inside and out. Like everything he's doing is calculated and just and just not good. Uh, it would ruin the movie for me. I don't I, so I can't allow that into my head canon. I wouldn't I wouldn't say that turns him into a psychopath, but I would say it's very convenient that her car happens to break down right there. Um I, I don't know what I want to do with that information. I take that as just like a a, a me cute, a classic like 
like almost too convenient movie me cute. I guess. I just think it's um it's it's at least very telling to me that when he sees them in the aisle, he turns and goes down a different aisle. He he does not want or he stops himself from talking to her. Yeah. I, I just I, in my mind, like saying that he fucked with it would be like saying that like some of the best me cutes in film. Like what if that person was actually stalking that person and that's why they were at the same location? That'd be like, great. <laughs> some movies would be improved by that or like right? what if uh pele killed danny's parents <laughs> which no i don't i also don't agree with but yeah. i think it's interesting to think about no yeah oh man we really got to do that movie soon 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 um so yeah so um he helps her out and kind of gives her and benicio a ride home and i love that he like is like looking at benicio and benicio's staring at him he's like hey you want a toothpick <laughs> Because it's like all he has. What yeah. else is he gonna give him? Like, it's like change or a toothpick. This interaction that he has with Irene and Benicio overall, I think, is extremely charming. Um, yes, I I could all I could see someone watching this and being like, "This is like Creep City." Uh, I I it's a fair read. I I don't have that read though. Um, he implies through like their dialogue that he's been in L.A. for a while, but he's new to the building. Uh, and he, you know, uh, Irene at one point points to a picture of um, Benicio's father. Um, who I did not recognize as Oscar Isaac because I had only seen one movie with Oscar Isaac before this one. That was Sucker Punch. Terrible, terrible oh, movie. Oh, God. Um, and says that uh, his father's in jail. Um, and then she, I love she's just like, what do you do? And he goes, I drive. I drive. And then he later, like, there's like a pause. And then he. Oh, like, like for movies. Uh, yeah. 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 Um, we should say, though, uh, that when she talks about Oscar Isaac, she does not say my husband. She specifically says Benicio's father. Yes. Um, so she leaves the nature of their relationship right. undisclosed. She's very I, I think she is very clearly from the get go kind of like, I don't want my husband. I mean, she makes it more evident later. Like she she clearly does not want him to get out of jail and doesn't want him around anymore. No. So she's like planting some seeds. Yeah. Uh, we get one of the more villainous pizzerias I've seen in television. <laughs> Tell us about Nino's Pizzeria. Yeah, so Nino's Pizzeria is like managed or like run or owned by uh, Nino uh, Izzy Palazzi, sure. um, who I think that's how you say his Palazzi. name. He is a he is a Jewish uh, Italian mobster, mostly Jewish, a little bit of Italian, um, which he gets a lot of shit to. Yeah, all mobster, played by Ron. Perlman. God, the performances in this movie. We get Ron Perlman. I love Ron Perlman. Who uh, even, like we said, is maybe a caricature, maybe not. But boy, yeah. is he having fun and firing on 110 cylinders. Yeah. Um. So we we get him. Um. So he, he, at first, uh, he's not there yet. Uh, but we have Bernie Rose, uh, Albert, played by Albert Brooks, um, who plays you know another mobster, a Jewish mobster, who is meeting with Shannon. Shannon is pitching Bernie an idea about purchasing a stock car for driver to race. And he's, you know, he's like, this is why you should invest in this because driver is so good. He's like, this kid is special. Um, Shannon seems very much in need of money, probably because of all the dumbass decisions he's making. Well, and Bernie's kind of mentioned, he mentioned something obliquely like, oh, we're doing this again, or like, you're doing this again. Um, sort of implying that like this is not the first time that Shannon has needed money and kind of we'll get to that. Yeah. Uh, so Nino comes in and he's Bernie's partner um, and he he says like, hey, Shannon, how's the fucking leg? Uh, and Shannon says, I paid my debt. Um, so yeah. clearly Nino had something to do with that, which we get a little bit more of an explanation for later. 
I also enjoy the detail that Bernie is eating Chinese food in Nino's Italian restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then they exchange a little bit of uh of racist dialogue, I suppose, and then Nino is just like or like Bernie's like, What what is a Jew doing owning a pizzeria? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So we got to Bernie watching um driver drive. Uh in a great scene, Bernie extends his hand to shake driver's hand but driver doesn't do it right away and it totally looks like a slight um but then he like after a long pause he's like my hands are dirty and bernie responds with so are mine great delivery just great just great scene great delivery great scene but again like this is a moment that upon rewatches many rewatches i'm like "Ah, is that is that dialogue a little too on the nose i don't care i love it yeah, it's, you're getting into great. Yeah, it's a little. I don't, I don't know if campy is the right word. It's 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 like, it's kind of like a like really blunt like noir dialogue. I I yeah. I, I dig it. I, I like it a lot. Um, and so the next scene we get is Irene shows up at the garage that driver works at. So if he is a creep, she's equally creep. No, um, he uh, he mentioned to her that he that he worked at a garage. No, um, I'm, in- I I know, but I, so I guess I mean like she's you know she's she's interested she's she shows oh, up she on is. purpose I, I she, yeah she's not a creep i don't she's actually just... mean they're they're i don't think either one of them is creepy um and so like, her son is like watching him as he's like working on her car they have like a little staring contest which is really adorable and shannon is like insisting that driver drive uh irene and her son home and he's like he's talking about how good of, of a guy driver is it seems almost like really bad wingmanning um yeah. or maybe really good i don't know well, just like everything else, Shannon is bad at it. Yeah. And then my favorite, like, I think my favorite line delivery in the entire movie and like the I, like the one time I laugh every time I watch this movie is like, you know, he's, you know, he's just like, I, I, he t- uh, Shannon tells drivers, like, I, I offered your services to, to drive her home. And he goes, I don't have wheels on my car. It's one thing you should know about me. It's just like <laughs> looking at his, I think it's just such, it's such a well-written, like, I don't know if it was Im- improvised. It almost seems like it could have been, but I just it's a super like charming. Like it, it shows. I think it shows a like a depth of sense of humor that he has. Uh, to me, it's it's like a, that him making that joke is like it's very humanizing. It, it, it tell, it's really humanizing. I think that's one one of the reasons I love it so much. I think um, too it tell it tells you at the same time something about Driver and also nothing um, because yeah. he said it's one thing you should know about me but he's making a joke we don't know anything about him yeah but at the same time the fact that he can like come up with this quip really quickly and like get a smile out of Irene like we said it it makes him human yeah exactly and so he drives them home and kind of as they're driving you know in silence because obviously silence he says like all of a sudden he's like hey you want to see something and then he takes them we get some cuts of like him spending some time with them. He just takes them driving around the LA river while this really kind of like beautiful song, a real hero plays, which can we talk about the song? Uh, yeah. Do you want to talk about the lyrics? It's like, uh, you have proved to be a real human being and a real hero. And it's like, the song's great. The scene's great. I will say Irene, like sitting passively next to him, smiling almost reminds me of the smiling parents from Mulholland drive a little bit. (laughs) Really? Like the sheer blank <laughs> idiocy of the smile. Oh, really? Um, I, like, I think she is adorable. On, she is on cloud fucking nine. Yeah, in that she car, is. Like with that smile on her face. She's not like to the deranged degree of the, <laughs> of the old couple mall and drive. <laughs> Maybe not. Um, but I like, again, every time I saw this movie, I, like I love this scene, but 
in recent rewatches, I'm like, mm. is the song a little bit too on the nose? Like, Driver, you I are guess. a real human being. I, yeah, this guy's not a psycho. Yeah. Real yeah. human being. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe. Again, I did not really, like, ever pay attention to it that much. Uh, even when I was listening to it, like, outside of the film, like, listening to it in my car as I'm driving. But can I, can I just mention really quick that, truly, if I had to go back and if I could pick, like, a, a scene in history where I could watch a director give direction. That would be one of those scenes. I think it would have been hilarious to be on set with David Lynch, telling them to just smile bigger and bigger. Like I would, (laughs) I I don't know what he told them, but I need to know. I think I would have been on the floor crying, laughing during whatever he was doing. What if it was entirely their choice and Lynch had almost nothing to do with it? Like they're the worst actors of all time. And that, that maybe was what the they, best. they thought that they were being like, like really like subtle, but, but they weren't. And Lynch well, was like, no, this is brilliant. It's like um guy who later murdered his wife, Robert Blake and his face. paint. That was Robert. Oh Blake. yeah. Oh yeah. That's true. That's yeah. true. Oh man. That is, that's another scene. That's a great one. Anyway. Um, yeah, so they're like, you know, they're hang- walk- driving along the L.A. River. They're hanging out near a creek. They're like, the lighting's really beautiful. It's like sunny day out in L.A. It is, uh, but every time I watch this, I'm like, you drove to the end of like an aqueduct, right? That's what the, or viaduct, or I don't know what those are called. Um, but you drove to the end of one to park to go like play on the creek. If there aren't a bunch of homeless encampments there, where in L.A. are you? Well. <laughs> Like that's all I, mean, I can think. There's there not certainly garbage, would be. Yeah. If there's not garbage and vagrants around. You can't be somewhere in the woods in LA. Yeah. Um, they, there's like a shot of them getting back to the apartment. He's carrying Benicio like over his shoulder. It's really adorable. And she's like kind of watching him from behind, like just really adoringly. Um, and they both say they had a great time. There's like a really beautiful shot of them, like kind of like sitting like by a window together and just kind of looking at each other and, and, and the camera is like not moving. It's I really, really like that. Um, these are like some of just the most like serene, like beautiful moments um, that almost kind of like make you forget that, that about like what the larger conflict could end up being, despite the fact that you just met these mobsters. Yeah. And I'm trying to think between Neon Demon and Only God mm-hmm. Forgives, um, like do either of those movies really have moments of just sitting with joy? Not I mean, really. Only God forgives has absolutely zero None. joy. It's it's None. pervasively like sad and just depressing and violent. Yeah, like we get. I would say this moment and one other moment that's coming up are like two moments of genuine joy in this film. Yeah, that I think without them, yeah, it could become like Only God forgives. It would just be this very bleak, maybe nihilistic, violent crime film. Um, so yeah, it just I yeah. I love this scene as well. He this Nicholas Wing Raffin does not like do this in like any of his other movies that I've seen, which is a real shame because he should. It's I don't He's know good what, at it. why it's is he great, like averse to it? I don't it's get it. It's a great scene. He pulls it, makes it me, off. It makes me wonder if like the writing combined with like just Ryan Gosling and Carrie Mulligan's charisma is what created this, and that he had like, nothing to fucking do with it. The cinematographer yeah, it, and like yeah. I mean, again, it wasn't his script. He was working off someone else's script. Yeah. Yeah. Um so he says uh, at the end of that conversation or lack of conversation that he isn't doing anything over the weekend. And then you know, the movie cuts to yeah. him like Can spending we... more time with her and her son. We'll, we'll talk about how driver kind of insinuates himself into people's lives, but 
the way he mentions this and he's like, I'm not doing anything this weekend, which is like, dude, just fucking ask her out. Don't mm-hmm. say that because he does something like that later. And I'm like, no, like, just be straightforward. <laughs> I don't mind it, but I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Um, but yeah, he, there's some more shots of him like driving her around LA, um, by, like just her. I think Benicio's like in bed and then like they're just driving together. Yeah. Um, and there's like a cute moment where she puts his hand or her hand on top of his when he's got it on the, uh, the um, ship. But you can see her wedding ring is glittering on her finger. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. Um, so back at the garage, uh, we got Nino and Bernie are there now and we get Nino. <laughs> Nino delivering a classic like caricature of a mobster line. He like looks at he's like criticizing the look of like the car that driver's going to be racing, and then he looks at this other car and he's like, "Now this, that is one motherfucking fine ass pussy mobile motherfucker." Well done. That was a pretty good Ron Perlman. <laughs> I could I, I I thank you, but I but yeah, yeah. I I tried. Um, just I, don't do the I don't do the delivery justice it's just like what movie are we watching but i like it i like it a lot um and so bernie approaches driver he's like are you ready um he's talking about how tells a little background about shannon talks about how shannon used to get cars for movies that bernie produced it sounds like bernie was also like kind of like an exploitation film director or maybe straight porn at times he said it was sexy stuff yeah i thought it was shit <laughs> yes. yeah um and said one time Shannon overcharged Nino and his gang for some cars, and then they broke his pelvis. Now, if I had my pelvis broken by some mobsters, I'd find another way to get money from then on. Probably. Um, I get that sometimes in great need, you turn to people you shouldn't, um, and those people can be mobsters, but I, I don't know. I don't think I would want to hang around the guy who broke my pelvis. No, ever again. I think one of the things this movie is trying to do, or one of the overarching themes, is that um, people people who are like locked into themselves um, just keep making the same kinds of choices again and again and again, and it just keeps getting them into the same kinds of situations. And that's you know, Frog yeah. and the Scorpion, and that's Shannon. Yeah, he just keeps making bad decisions. He can't help himself. Yeah. And this is a good scene also because there's it's a good like tension and like Bernie is definitely being very threatening, but he's being just the right amount of like personable. So it's not as overt. Um, he's like, you know, he tells the driver that they're a team, um, you know, like, hope you're ready. But like, it very much sounds like he's giving him a warning not to fuck up. Um, and basically yeah. like kind of indirectly being like, I know people who will break your pelvis. Um, well, and also warning him kind of about Shannon because he tells him, like, I'm only telling you this so you know how much yeah. Shannon has, like, invested in you. Exactly. Like, real yeah. guilt trippy. Um, yeah. So I'm going to fly through, like, the next, the, the kind of remainder of this act. Uh, and so, I mean, we get a, a shot of a driver watching TV with Benicio before he takes Irene out driving again. As as they're driving, she tells him that her husband's standard, Oscar Isaac, as we mentioned, is getting out of jail soon. Um, then we kind of immediately get a cut to a party at Irene's apartment because Standard is now back home. Um, it's kind of from the perspective of the driver in his apartment. You can hear some like loud music booming. I can't eat. I can't <laughs> yeah. sleep. I do nothing but what? think of Love you. you. Which again, great song. But now looking at it, I'm like, yeah, we know they're fucking thinking about each other. And it's like yeah. un- it's called like under your spell. Yeah, uh, yeah. And you know, um, 
standard is like giving a speech about second chances. Um, he looks, he definitely is giving the vibes of someone who's just out of jail, but like, you're just like, this guy's going back to jail at some point. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, uh, driver leaves his uh, apartment, kind of sees, sees Irene sitting outside. They joke about the noise. Um, and she, he jokes that he was going to call the cops and she's like, I wish you would. And I'm like, that's a good, it's a great line. Great yeah. line delivery yeah. by Carrie Mulligan. She's tells quite, you quite excellent. everything you need to know about how she feels about standard. Exactly. Um, standard comes out and he definitely seems a little bit suspicious of driver, but he's heard a lot about him already from Benicio. So obviously he's already deemed him a threat. Um, well, but, but I but, mean, like, this is kind of a breaking bad Skylar white situation. Like to take devil's advocate, like, I get where he's coming from. If I was in jail and I came oh, back and my lady was what, just chatting it up with this hot Ryan Gosling figure down the hallway. 100%. And one of the things I think the, the compliment I will pay like Oscar Isaac and just the, the writing of the character of standard is that he, it, it, I like that he doesn't jump down this guy's throat. No, like he could, that would have been a, probably a really unfair stereotype too, of like the jailed man who basically just wants to like kill every man who was yeah. a potential threat. While like the jealous, he was in jail. violent yeah. criminal. I'm yeah. really glad they did not go that direction. But you do get the feeling that maybe he could have been capable of it. Yes. But I'm glad, glad they don't go that, that. Yeah, I'm glad they don't go that direction. So we then get a scene with Driver eating at a diner. This for some, this scene, I, I, I want to talk maybe briefly about it. But it, it stands out almost in a way that it makes it almost unnecessary, but it does serve like one purpose. I, I think I see why it was kept in, but I don't know if it necessarily needed to be in the movie. Um, I think it serves another purpose. So tell me yours first and I'll tell you mine. Yeah. So he's approached by a guy who recognizes him as a getaway driver from a previous job um, and he tries to like pitch him a new job and driver interrupts him. He's like, how about this? Shut your mouth or I'll kick your teeth down your throat and shut it for you. And that is the first time we get this hint of violent tendencies from him even though he's kind of just, he doesn't want to get involved. Like he, he doesn't want to be tied to anything he's ever done. I, you know, yeah. he does what he does out of necessity, I suppose, but he doesn't want to be tied to it. You know, as it's common throughout the rest of the movie, he's just trying to be, to not have ties to evildoers, even though he is putting himself in that position. So you can't really, he's not like not at fault. He's very much at fault. Um, but I think that the scene really just exists because it's, it's now you're getting comfortable with him and Irene. There's a little bit of tension raised by standard being there. And you get, I think it, Nicholas uh, winning Revan wanted this like jarring uh, taste at another side to him. Yes. The other thing that I was thinking when I watched this scene is before we kind of realize what's going on, that they do recognize each other. We get a scene where the driver is eating at this diner. He's eating a piece of pie. I don't know why I mentioned that he's eating pie, but he is. And he has come immediately from the party, right? So part of that tension could be his frustration at Standard being there. But the other thing, too, is if you think about Driver and what we've seen of him, like while the party is going on, they're all having fun and they're drinking and they're at this party. We see Driver just taking apart a piece of a vehicle. Yeah. That's it. This guy has no life. Like yeah. he has no life outside of driving, outside of getaway cars. And I think part of the question of the movie is like, what drives him? Like, what what is what is he living his life for? Mm -hmm. And so when I saw him in the diner, it's almost like you see him alone eating his pie with nothing to do. And you see this other guy at the other end of the diner doing the same thing. And the guy is older than him. And then, of course, we get this, you know, the introduction between the two of them and they know each other. 
But with that initial setup, you're almost getting like, this is what the driver will become. He will also become this old, lonely person who goes to a diner to eat by themselves because they also don't have any. He just like always has been that. And like, I mean, I guess we we say that all these things out loud, it's making me wonder, like, this really does lean into that. He's a complete, absolute psychopath. I don't think that he's a psychopath. I I think it'll connect with kind of what he tells Irene at the end. But like. We are seeing, in my mind, and I was talking with Edgar about this, we are seeing the most momentous days of the driver's life. That's true. Um, what does he do on his day off? He just sits, just like, sits and watches the paint dry and then drives? <laughs> well, presumably, like, repairs car parts and drives, right? Yeah. Like, that's all he does. But I, I saw this scene for the exact same reason you did. It's giving us that hint of his violence. Um, but also, I think it's giving us a glimpse of his his life and kind of what it will become if nothing else changes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he like, drives back home and he finds these two um, men looking suspicious, uh, like in, in his building's parking garage, presumably. One of them's holding a baseball bat and he finds out they beat up Standard in front of Benicio. Um, it's revealed that Standard owes protection money to an Albanian gangster named Cook, I believe. Yeah. Um, Standard tells driver that he that they want him to rob a pawn shop to pay them forty thousand dollars, and says they'll hurt Benicio and Irene if he doesn't do it. And so driver, especially um, notices that they one of the gangsters gave Benicio a bullet and told him not to lose it. So driver basically agrees to be the getaway driver for Standard for this for this robbery. I mean, clearly just because he wants to protect Irene and Benicio. So he goes to the restaurant where Irene works. Um, and she invites him to dinner and kind of during the standard tells the story about how he and Irene met. Um, she was 17, uh, which he says, well, so it was illegal then I'm like, all right, well, yeah. in front I, of your son, a, a detail I didn't really need. No. I kind of wish like, I, just let me think that it was all fine. You know, don't. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, he gives this little toast, uh, to family and to, to driver, his new friend. Yeah, they're friends uh, now. Yeah, and um, but yeah, during when when they talk about um, how they met, um, he introduces he says he introduces himself as standard, and then Irene said, "Well, where's the deluxe model? You're sitting next to him, baby. Oh yeah, yeah. Who indeed is that deluxe model? Um, I just I love that scene because with standard telling that story, it's not a story really worth telling. It makes him look terrible. And it, yeah, it just shows every reason why like standard is standard and the driver is like, oh, baby, he's the deluxe model. You want him. Yeah. So we get to uh, this pawn shop robbery. We get a brief planning scene in the park. Uh, We get a scene of the driver stealing a sports car. So the driver meets up with Cook or an associate of Cook. I can't remember. I I think it is Cook. It is Cook. Yeah. Um, the driver uh, wants the job to be standards last. So he tells him like, uh, no matter what, he's out after this. And driver is willing to do this for no money. The guy writes off on his hand. Okay, you know, uh, standard will get this, Blanche will get this, and you'll get this. And he shows his hand and it just says, fuck off. Yeah. He says, are you still willing to do it? And he is. Um, so we also meet Blanche. Describe Blanche. So Blanche is played by Christina Hendricks, um, who Mad is very, Men, very famous for for Mad Men and her like very hour, her hourglass like figure. Um, she, so uh, let me let me just say this first. Is it telling to you that Nicholas uh, Winning Reppin auditioned porn stars for this role? 
um, that and then they not... could they couldn't act, and so he cast Christina Hendricks. <laughs> that is telling. I don't understand why you would want a porn star in this role because it's a nothing role. It's a stupid nothing role. I hate it. Like the very first thing is like it's like you'll take Blanche with you. Look at her; she's beautiful. It's like that, that. That's literally like what that's that. That is what Nicholas Winding Refn and Hideo Kojima have to say about all their female characters for the most part. Not <laughs> yeah. Irene. Irene is like the one exception. But I there's not much to Irene besides that she likes the driver. I know, but it's at yeah. least she's not this like. At least she. At least there's something more to her. But no, but you're. I mean, you're. You're right. I'm. I'm not saying that she's like a deep character. I mean, she's still a character to drive the male protagonist like it's it's still in the broad scheme of things she's still kind of a nothing character i i just don't like calling it that because i enjoy the 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 romance between them i ship them (laughs) yeah i ship them hard yeah yeah yeah. but yeah Blanche, Um, blanche is just like a nothing character she's like an accomplice so she's just she comes with him on this like as you'll describe this robbery and she she serves a very like a purpose basically just to explain why driver is now in a world of shit and that's it well and she's duplicitous which like duplicitous woman archetype yeah 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 so um let's get to this robbery so um oh and before we get there driver tells cook his his driver line you get five minutes yeah i'm yours etc 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 so um, what's really intelligent uh, that I think the movie does, which was an unintelligent way of saying that, is we don't see the robbery. Yeah, I like that. Uh, a lesser movie would have us see the robbery um, and how it goes wrong, which it does. We only see the outside as the driver waits. Um, so the tension is ratcheting up for us, the viewer, because we don't know how things are going on the inside. Blanche comes out first. She has a bag of money, but Standard isn't with her. So just like the heist from the opening, we have Driver kind of waiting, waiting, waiting. He's giving them the full five minutes. But every second that standard isn't there, the tension is ratcheting up. While they're waiting, a car with tinted windows also pulls into the parking lot, and the driver kind of barely takes notice. Finally, we get standard leaving the pawn shop, but uh, in a very loud, shocking burst. He's shot in the neck and then in the chest, killing him instantly. Yep. So no more standard. No more standard. So from there, things kind of like break out into chaos. Uh, the driver pulls away and the car with the tinted windows pulls out in hot pursuit with him. So there's this slick looking car chase. Um, you know, we got a car chase on the back roads of California, which is very cool. Again, like we said, um, Fast and Furious movies would have like cars flipping and crazy tricks. We get one crazy trick here um, that I think is pretty cool. Do you want to talk about this? How he loses the other car? Um, I forgot what he what does he do. Does he just like lose it in a cloud of dust or no? No. Oh wait, so no. He, I'm thinking that's death proof. Again, listen, Tarantino Town is in this state. They're yeah. not neighbors. Yeah. Um, but so he flips the car around uh, and is driving backwards. Oh, at 90 right. Miles an hour. Yes. Um, but then flips it back to take a turn. The other car can't take the turn and uh, flips over. Yeah. Um, great, so it's it's a very stuff. well, it's good stuff. And it shows that the driver is not only an aggressive driver. He has a lot of aggressive tendencies, but he's also intelligent. In yes. How he very calculated and intelligent. Yes. As he's just he's just one big caricature of a type A personality. He really is. He would be a great behavior therapist because I see a lot of myself in him. <laughs> 
Um, so we cut to a short time later. We don't know how much later, but Driver and Blanche are in a hotel room. I think a very short time later. Yeah. What I like is that uh, the scene opens with a zoom out from the bag of stolen money. And you can immediately see that this is way, way, way more than just twenty or $40,000. Yeah. Um, we cut to Irene being spoken to by the police. So presumably she now knows that Standard is dead. Yep. A news report is on the TV and it's talking about the robbery, but the news report claims that no money had been stolen and that it was one person acting alone. Uh-oh. So yeah, uh-oh. So Driver immediately knows that something up, it's something is happening. Yeah. So in a scene that we can kind of talk about, like violence against women being depicted, I really don't love it. Yeah. Um, Driver roughs up Blanche to get her to talk. Yeah, I hate that. I, I hate it. I almost wonder if Nicholas Winding Refn wanted a porn star. So it's like, I want to see Nick or Nick Gosling, Ryan Gosling, <laughs> like rough up a porn star, yeah. um, which like, ugh, what a weird know. thing to want. But knowing him, it wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't. It wouldn't surprise me at all. So we find out that the robbery was a double scam. So they were meant to rob the pawn shop, but Blanche, the driver and standard were meant to be robbed as well. And we'll talk about why. Yep. So Cook, the guy who planned the job, he knew this. So Driver finds this out. He kind of has to process and plan their next moves. Blanche goes up to use the bathroom, um, you know, redo her hair. And she does get a new haircut. (laughs) Yeah, she does. Yeah. In that the top of her skull gets blown off. Yeah. Um, So by a shotgun. By a shotgun, no less. So clearly uh, this money is a hot ticket item. People are in pursuit. Uh, defending himself because there's someone knocking at the door. We have this person breaking in through the bathroom driver throws a mattress against the door, kind of tucks himself into a corner. He defends himself and kills off the two attackers. But what I think is telling is he kind of looks around at the ruins of the hotel room and his face is covered in blood. And he has this kind of haunted expression. I don't think he's done anything like this before. I don't think think he has either, but I feel like he knows he's always been capable of it. Agreed. Um, but we should, I would say, the 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 thing to really note is that he kills a guy by ripping a shower uh, curtain off its uh, shower rock curtain rod and stabs a guy in the throat with it. I didn't, I forgot to mention that part. Um, yeah, pretty great, right? Yeah, shower curtains don't have sharp ends. No. So he did that purely on by force. I guess. Uh, it, crazy. Um, here's where, the, again, we talked about the violence being a little much. This it's is my least here, favorite scene in the entire movie, by the way. It's not my least favorite scene, but again, here, it's like when he stabs the guy with the with the um, shower curtain rod, cutting away a split second sooner instead of watching the blood gush would have made the scene much better and more tasteful. And just to cut, cutting away went instead of showing her head get like exploded. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. So the driver has to make his next moves. Um, So he needs to find Cook. So the driver confides in Shannon what has happened, which is probably a bad idea. Yep. Uh, Shannon offers to take the money. Also a bad idea. Yep. Um, Driver does not give him the money. And Shannon says he'll ask Bernie about it to see like what is going on. Also bad idea. Horrible idea. So the driver finds Cook in the dressing room of this exotic dance club. Um, We'll talk about this scene, but also, again, kind of looking at this with a gender lens. 
uh, the women in the room while this is happening. Yeah. So I this love like the end- second least. I, I like the yeah the opening to it, but I don't like the staging of it really. No, the entrance is great. He walks in. He asks where the dressing room is. He has a hammer with him. He immediately starts smashing Cook's fingers with a hammer. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Uh, and, and, drags- that, and that's not shown like to a disgusting degree. No. I mean, it's it's jarring and and it's like it's shocking. You know, it it like it's violent, but it's not like up close like no yeah you don't see like the fingers like moving out of alignment or anything else like that yeah yeah. uh so he's torturing him threatening him uh he threatens to hammer a bullet into his brain which is pretty sweet right yeah pretty great threat pretty great but he discovers that the person behind this dummy robbery was nino bernie's partner so now he's kind of in thick he's kind of fucked no matter what um, he talks to Nino on the phone and makes arrangements to deliver the money to Nino to get out of the situation. Yeah. Um, at this point, do you believe that's what he wants? What do you think he wants in this moment? What does driver want? I mean, he, yeah. he wants himself and Irene and Benicio out. Um, I, I don't think, I think he is thinking about her and Benicio first, but he has no reason to think about her and Benicio right now, because as, as far as he knows, he's the only one in trouble. True. He doesn't know yet that Driver and Irene are in trouble. Or sorry, that I, Irene and Benicio are in trouble. True. Um, but yeah, I think I thought you were you were sharing earlier before. I think we 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 went off on a slight. We started talking about the scene in different ways. Like, there's a bunch of topless strippers around, which yeah. is like really blatant, and they're all just watching this happen, like not actually worried at all. And that's the thing too. I was expecting them to scream and run away. They have no like agency. They're like. They're yep. like birds in cages, yep. like just sitting there, yep. kind of looking around. Yeah. Um, and I mean, best case scenario, you could say they hate Cook too, and they're kind of enjoying this, but there's not yeah. even that sense either. It's not literally like they're just pieces of art on the wall. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Um, so after Cook has been found, um, driver confesses everything to Irene. Um, she's obviously upset and she slaps him, but in a moment that I love. You see, she slaps him and the look on her face, she immediately regrets it. Yeah. Um, This is again where we get driver kind of like, buddy, just be a little more straightforward. He tells her, um, you know, you can have the money if you want, which is when she slaps him. Um, And then he mentions, you know, you could go somewhere with Benicio and start over. And then he adds at the end and I could go with you if you want. Um, which is probably what he should have opened with or wanted to open with, but yeah. he adds there at the end. Yeah, it's funny. Once he's now now he's that he's unleashed and he's got violent, he like starts speaking more and saying more what he wants. Yeah, which is interesting. That's true. That is true. Yeah. I'm confused about the like blocking and the direction between this scene and the next one. She originally tells him, like, I can't talk right now because Benicio's there and his dad is dead and her husband is dead. But then she decides to like go out, I guess. Yeah. Get in the elevator. I don't. It doesn't don't quite get matter. It. it doesn't matter. But so they get in the elevator, um, and the man that Nino has sent is in the elevator with them. They don't know that, obviously, um, until Driver sees a gun on him. So this is my favorite scene in the entire film. The I would say scene. it's probably the most iconic, and and I, I do like this scene despite the violence. Yeah. So as Driver kind of clocks that this guy has a gun and is probably there for him and Irene. We get this like truly beautiful moment where he pulls Irene away in a very protective way and he kisses her finally. And the music swells, the world fades away, the like lights turn up, 
this is their like one and only moment together in the entire movie. Yep. Um, and this scene in the elevator kind of encapsulate all of Driver's character and kind of what all of the movie is about to me. So Driver cannot have Irene. They can never be together because of who he is and what happens next. Um, Driver goes to fight this guy, um, disarms him, beats him pretty efficiently, and then starts stomping on his head until his skull essentially explodes. Yeah. Um, it's shown it's in the split second shot. It's unnecessary. It's extremely graphic. Yeah. Um, and we get this shot of Irene outside of the elevator, uh, and she's just staring in horror at the driver and the elevator door closes, separating them. It's so, it's like a really tragic end for them too. And I mean, that's the, that's the movie, right? Yeah. That's the movie in a nutshell. Like he wants this thing that because of who he is and what he does, he, he can't and shouldn't and will never have. Yep. Um, it's very sad. Let's let's get let's get to the, like Shannon's biggest fuck up of the entire movie. Yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> All right. So uh Driver goes to warn Shannon. So now that Bernie and Nino know that Shannon, Irene, the driver, and Benicio are kind of the loose ends, they're not safe. So how does Shannon fuck up here? Well, I mean, so Shannon admits that he told Bernie about Irene. Thus, which yes, like that's making them a loose end. Which, like, God, <laughs> you fucking idiot. Like, I, like, Shannon, I get, I guess, is like, he's doing a cover your own ass type thing. He's in with the mob. He's probably only thinking about his own self-preservation. And he, but he's also an idiot. Like, he's not doing it nefariously to, like, divert attention off him. He, no. just, he, he mentions Shannon Irene because he thinks that he's doing the right thing by telling Bernie. He's a, he's a fucking idiot. He's, it's, it's just, you know, it's more like. He doesn't really, it's like, oh, wait, the mob is like bad. <laughs> They'll kill people. They'll break oh, pelvises. And it's yeah. like, shouldn't you have learned that lesson the first time? I think so. So uh, Nino and Bernie are in hot water as well, because it turns out the people they stole the money from are East Coast mob. Yeah. So it makes it really crucial that they get it back before thing, things become much worse for them. This is like the most crime drama element of the movie. Yeah. Um, in another movie, this would be a bigger deal. It really only matters because it sets up their motivations of why they want the driver and all these loose ends tied up. Mm-hmm. Um, you already talked about it, but Nino kind of has his own reasons for resenting the East Coast mob. They're very anti-Semitic. They don't treat him with respect. Yeah. Um, so the driver, as we said, anyone connected to him has to die, which includes our friend Cook. Yeah. Who's in the restaurant as Nino and Bernie are discussing this. How does Bernie take care of this little problem? He, th- this is like, this is a scene that I, I really like. Like, I think the violence is effective because it goes to like showing more about Bernie. You're kind of like waiting for this moment in a way, but you didn't realize you were waiting for it. Uh, Bernie grabs a fork and just stabs Nino in the, or uh, cook, cook in the eye <laughs> and then grabs a knife and then just like jams it into his throat. Well, like digs it around a little bit. Yeah. And that's the thing, too. While he's screaming with a fork in his eye, Bernie just calmly walks over to get this knife. And then you'd think he slit his throat. But you're right. He just kind of just stabs forward into his throat. It's so much worse. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, But in a great line, he turns to Nino and says, now it's your turn to clean up after me. Yeah. Yeah. So we see Driver back in the movie set. Um, I love this little detail. His coat is now like covered in blood and a little burned, but it blends in because he's on a movie set. Well, yeah, a little nitpicky. He's he's wearing this for the rest of the movie. 
including when he's at places where people would notice this and be very concerned. True, true. But I, I just like that it, here. It's like, well, he would he would blend in. No one would really care. Here he would. Yes, I think. Um, and we see him taking one of the prosthetic masks that he was wearing earlier in the film. Yeah. Um, we cut to Shannon, who is literally on his way out the door, um, but he is stopped by Bernie. He tells Shannon that um, Sh- Shannon has bad locks, that it's a shame with all these valuable cars. You'd think you'd have better locks. Um, Shannon can't even pick the fucking right locks. <laughs> Like it's it's like so Shannon pathetic. is such a sad, pathetic yeah. character. Yep. Um, so Bernie, and again, like this goes to Albert Brooks, his performance, but also the way this character is written. Um, he starts off as being very contrite and understanding and being like, you know, you know, things turn out badly. What are the odds of all the robberies in this city? Um, but he kills Shannon nonetheless. Um, he grabs Shannon's arm, uses a straight razor, cuts his arm open, uh, right along the vein all along his forearm and shannon bleeds out again the level of violence the level of blood spurting out too much for me a little um, too much personally yeah he's like don't worry it's it's over there'll be no pain which is also very disturbing right that you're killing this person and even in their final moments you're just doing it for business and you're just kind of trying to calm them down through it yeah it's Uh, very i mean it's terrifying it's a good it's a good it's part of the good performance yeah it's upsetting yeah, uh, we cut to a scene where he puts this razor back into a case with other blades based yeah. on something that happens at the end of the film. Like, how many times do we think Bernie has kind of had to get his hands dirty like this before? Uh, not often, but he clearly like is very uh, he has a lot of um, what's the word like a lot of ceremony about it ceremony and seemingly doesn't have difficulty doing it. Not at all. Yeah. So from here on out, we get kind of this rocket sled ride to the end. Um, so driver finds Shannon's body. He puts two and two together, realizes that it must be Nino or Bernie. Um, and we get this amazing scene where the driver is stalking Nino while wearing the mask. Love it. Um, love it. We don't need it. It kind of doesn't actually make sense because if Nino sees him, it's kind of fucked. Um, but I love it anyway. Uh, there's the song, Oh My Love, which the lyrics don't contrast to me with what's going on. I think it's just a beautiful song and it juxtaposes with how violent and frightening things are about to get. Mm-hmm. Um, so this choice I love. But after leaving the restaurant, Nino is chased by the driver on this strip of seaside highway. The driver dings him from behind. Um, so Bernie's car pulls over. Um, driver sneaks around, T-bones him and slams into Nino's car, sending it flying off of a cliff. Wait, a, a good way of like taking advantage of how like dark it is outside driving at night along the PCH. Yes. And again, like it shows the driver is intelligent. Um, He knows what he's doing. So still wearing the mask, we get this very intimidating shot of driver walking towards Nino on the beach wearing the mask. Uh, He drowns Nino in the ocean. That's the end of Nino. Yep. Yeah. But to the driver calling Bernie and he asks him if he knows the story of the scorpion and the frog Um, kind of fitting. Yeah. What is the story of the scorpion and the frog? I actually forgot. Okay, so the story of the scorpion and the frog is uh, the frog wants to make it across the river, the frog and the scorpion both. Uh, And the scorpion is like, I can carry you across my back, but you can't jump because if you jump, I'll sting you because that's what scorpions do. And the frog's like, well, I need to get across the river, um, but I jump. That's what frogs do. And so they agree to help each other. But the frog jumps because that's what frogs do. And the scorpion stings because that's what scorpions do. And of course, neither of them make it across. 
Oh, right, right. Um, so the story is about how like people are kind of defined by and trapped by their own natures. Right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So Bernie wants all this to end. He suggests they meet. Um, he points out that driver Bernie and Irene are really the only three players left. And every time I watch this movie and I get to this point, I kind of have mm. this realization that even though it's a completely different genre, this movie is almost like a horror movie in yeah. that it's whittling away the players. Yeah. We should also mention that there's a, there's a very, very, very brief moment where driver finds Shannon's body. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, we then get driver calling Irene to tell her goodbye. Uh, and he tells her that the time that he spent with her and Benicio was the best thing that ever happened to him, which to me is like, this is why we're watching these days. This yeah. is the most momentous part of this man's life. Yeah. yeah. So they meet at the Chinese restaurant. Um, again, driver's wearing the bloodstained coat, which maybe here is not the best, smartest move. No. Bernie makes him a deal. If Bernie gets the money back, he will let Irene be safe. No one will know about her. No one currently knows about her. And I don't believe him. I don't believe all. him for one second. No. Yeah. Um, he and driver the... doesn't clearly doesn't believe him either. No. Um, but he tells the driver straight up that you will not be so lucky that uh, you will have to be looking over his shoulder everywhere you go. Which, yeah, we'll jump to what happens. I, I don't think the driver has any doubt of what what's about to happen. I don't think he's I don't actually. Think so I, I mean, I, he does seem like he gets caught off guard, but I do I do think he kind of went in expecting this. Same. Maybe even welcoming it. I don't know. Eh, maybe not. So the driver agrees, telling Bernie that the money's in his car. We get a brief scene in the parking lot. Again, very sudden burst of violence. Bernie knifes the driver as he's getting the money out. Quickly, the driver strikes back, slicing Bernie's neck open. But most of this is played using shadows. Shadow and like on the pavement, which is great. I wish they more of the violence in the movie was done that way. Yeah. Or sim- like just more artistically, I guess. So in our final moments, we get driver. People have speculated that perhaps he's dying here. He's in the car. Sure like, seems like he's dead. Over. There's light swelling in the background. Um, however, he then pulls away, revealing a dead Bernie and the money lying in the parking lot. Yeah. Uh, we haven't really mentioned it, but the driver makes lots and lots and lots of money uh, for these getaway jobs. He doesn't seem to do anything with it. Money yeah. does not seem to be a motivating factor in anything that he does. Uh, so he's left the money. And as he drives away, we get a reprise of Real Hero or whatever the song is called. Yeah. Um, and then credits. Yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah. That was Drive. Yeah. God, even talking about it. Just, um, yeah. I I love this movie so much. I would compare to jump back to what I brought up earlier. Um, I think this movie echoes Catcher in the Rye to me in that both are stories about people who are lonely and who really have don't know what to do with themselves. And they throughout the film, they interact with a series of people. Um, and uh, by the end, they've gone through all these struggles. And there's like this one thing that can kind of make them happy or kind of save their day mm-hmm. and they each kind of get it at the very end um yeah so that i don't you know i'm not ready to write a college thesis about it <laughs> but i just thought it's about these two very disaffected lonely people kind of going on this odyssey throughout a city where they interact with people that kind of open them up and reveal more about who they are yeah 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 but yeah um what works so 
I would say to a lesser degree, every time I watch it, the, the juxtaposition of the kind of like beauty and slow pace of the beginning with the, the hyper violence of the end, it, it, it still works a little bit for me. Um, but like the first hour and kind of like the build and the the needle drops combined with like the the kind of the more like serene moments of the of the film like really really work for me a lot. Um, the performances are all great, including Ron Perlman, no matter how kind of like exaggerated it is, um, or all the main performances are great. Uh, that's that's kind of really all of what works for me. Like the style of this movie is just it's such a it's very cool. It's very very cool. Yeah, it's very cool. I'll echo everything you said. But I'll also say what works, at least again, to me personally, is I, I think this movie, I just kept thinking about it. And I yeah, always think about it you. when I leave it. And I think, at least for me, it's it's really a play about people who are trapped in themselves, right? The scorpion and the frog. It's people who can't break away from who and what they are and the roles that they have let themselves be trapped by or defined for themselves. Um. And when they try and break away from that, disastrous things happen. Yeah. And I think that's something that everyone can relate to. We've all kind of felt trapped similarly. Uh, but I, I think that's kind of the big picture this movie is going with. And I always, I'm always left pondering that and kind of having that to digest for days afterwards. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what doesn't work for you? The most of the violence doesn't work for me. Um, the use of female characters, especially, um, Blanche, like just basically any time that um, the director is dipping into the bad tendencies I kind of outlined at the beginning of the episode. Um, it, the 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 violence is becoming more and more jarring to me as I every time I rewatch it. And I was kind of pondering this, especially when after watching uh, rewatching Only God Forgives it's like a I mean, it's not that I was like never bothered by this, um, but I feel like I'm becoming more like less and less desensitized, which is interesting. Um, as I get older, I don't I don't know what it is. Um, maybe I value film in a different way, and I don't like relish um, the like shock value as much as I kind of used to. That said, I mean, there's there's plenty of films that I that I like that are violent that I I don't have a problem with. I mean, Hereditary is a good example of that too. Like I I don't find that to be it's upsetting, but not in a, why did they do this kind of way? Yeah. How about you? Agreed. I would say the, yeah, I'll echo that. Um, I'll echo kind of the gender reading of this film uh, and a lot of Nicholas Winnie Ruffin's films. Also, I, this is so minor nitpicky of me, uh, but remember when we were talking about the split personality of the driver character? Yeah. So I always pay very close attention in this film to when the driver is wearing his jacket and when he is not. Um, and in my mind, I consider those two separate characters. I ah, interesting. Yeah, I consider him the driver when he is the jacket on, and I consider yeah. him deluxe or whoever he truly is when the jacket's <laughs> yeah. off. Right. Um, and there's only like one scene where he's like acting like the driver but not wearing the jacket, and it's like, oh, I bet. I bet if you had to do that again, you would have him wear the jacket. Mm. Um, that's like such a minor nitpick and that's all in my own head. Um, but it just, it throws me next time yeah. you watch the film, pay attention to what he says when he's wearing the jacket and what he does versus when he's not. Okay. Okay. Yeah. We'll do. Um, would you want to live in the drive version of LA? 
which is presumably sure. just probably regular LA. Sure. It's more of like a total apathy towards the, this question. Um, it's yeah. my, my honest answer. Yeah. Why not? It's like, I just, I guess I just wouldn't want to live in LA. Yeah, actually. So, so I guess in a way, no. <laughs> yeah. So no. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to live in LA. Um, so video games, this one was tough because there's two very obvious inspirations. Mm-hmm. Um, GTA, uh, clearly you yeah. could do um, a GTA like uh, the other one I was thinking of is, I mean, I think Hotline Miami is I, I was going to say that partly by this film massively inspired by this film without a doubt. Um, the violence so like, stuff. Yeah. Hotline Miami, great game, like great vibe, great yeah. surreal mood, great music, um, but full violence very violent so yeah that, those are the only things i could think of can you think of another way this could work well i mean it's it's hard to capture the quiet moments um the game yeah. almost like demands action to keep it interesting but i'm what i went with is a and i mentioned this game when we did our 2002 draft uh the game driver um ah. it's just so I, i'm gonna go with like a ps2 era getaway game just gonna focus on that with some like cutscenes that just show kind of like what's leading to what cutscenes can show the violence and whatever and all we really do are just him driving from place to place it the fun the thing is like if this was actually like adapted into a game um it, it would probably be kind of like a 63 percent on metacritic type game okay <laughs> uh some of those I, like, are great though the game i'm describing is definitely not like a masterpiece type game but like there's missions but there's also like you have to do stunts um perform for points like it's a very linear game but it's all car based you don't even get out of the car and I bet it would have a banging soundtrack. It would absolutely have a banging soundtrack. Yeah. yeah. I like that. That works. Yeah. Um, this is really making me want uh, to either go back in time and experience the driver games when they were new or for some kind of driver remaster. But I don't think we're going to get it. I don't think that. you're ever going to get it. There's a third game that came out that apparently was really terrible. I, I really I don't know if you can get driver and driver Two on Steam. I think that they're really good games. I haven't played driver for like Game Boy Color. Um and I, I thought it was actually really, really fun, even though it was like really tiny, like top down, like your cars is this little rectangle. Um, I think Driver One is a really fun game. Uh, so, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I recommend it. I would do it for the show um, if you ever find a way to play it. Yeah, if I can, I'd definitely be interested. Um, so fan fiction. This um, is kind of this is yeah. interesting because I think we should talk about it up at the top. Mm-hmm. Usually we save it for the end. I don't think this film warrants fan fiction. No, I agree. Um, And we were talking about it a little bit before the show, but, and we talked about it on the show. Like to me, these are the most significant moments in driver's life, Mm -hmm. right? What happened before, what happens after that's not the point. Like that you're, you're missing the point. If you're trying Mm -hmm. to tell the before and the after story, like the whole point is this story. Yep. Um, Any background with like standard and like, again, you're missing the point. Yeah. That being said, we did find some stuff. Speaking of missing the point, okay, I found two things. Uh, One is called Broken People. Uh, It is a crossover between Drive and Promising Young Woman. Did you see Promising Young Woman? I didn't. I really want to, though. It it was pretty good. Um, I don't love the ending, um, but there are parts that I like, and it's basically just Ryan Gosling meeting Carrie Mulligan's character in that movie. It doesn't work um here's one i like and so i mentioned this to you before i before i we started recording so this is called how drive should have ended oh oh that is such that's the most loaded name of a fan fiction i think i've ever heard in my life it is it is i wish i could read you this whole thing so i i mentioned this before we recorded like if you go into this if you read this which i did the first time I, i read this 
with the assumption that the person who was writing it was being very arrogant and was like, I can write a better ending than this bullshit movie (laughs) and taking themselves super seriously. If you read it like that, it's fucking hilarious. If you look at it as a joke, which it honestly probably was, it's not nearly as funny. I don't Um, know that it was a joke, though, because fan fiction is a wild place with people with very strange passions. Well, let me let me read to you uh, an excerpt. And I think maybe (laughs) maybe you uh, would change your mind about whether it was a joke or not. (laughs) So Bernie starts like talking about the deal. They're in the Chinese restaurant at the very end. Um, And the, the driver just keeps asking questions. He's like, wait, so. Let me clarify. The girl is safe, but I'm not. That's right, Bernie replied. I'm going to look over my shoulder. You're going to look over your shoulder, Bernie nodded. And it's like driver's thoughts. This deal sucks. Well, then driver's (laughs) eyebrows were raised so high. What's in it for me? I mean, the girl's already kind of safe. She's hidden away. It's not like you've already abducted her or anything. You don't even know where she is. True. It was Bernie's turn to frown. This wasn't going his way. Driver wasn't supposed to ask so many questions. (laughs) Look, Bernie said slowly and carefully, if you think you and your girl can just hide for the rest of your lives and that this has a happy ending, you're dead wrong. My people will get to her. Do you seriously think that you and this girl could just take my money and walk away from this? Walk. W-O-K. Sure. Let me stop you because I see what you're saying. There's part of this that like, could be intentionally funny yeah but what you just read is like no like that's like dialogue i could believably see coming out of bernie's mouth it was until he said that this spelled the walk, walk the walk pun in yeah. the chinese restaurant i'm like okay <laughs> and then they, actually driver replied i was thinking of driving but anyways <laughs> oh my god <laughs> okay that's pretty great so, i want to i want to read everything going. this person has written it keeps going and he just keeps asking questions he's like wait so i'm gonna still so i am gonna look over my shoulder i don't like this deal I love i'll i send i'm gonna send it to you i'll put it in the chat please i want to read everything <laughs> this person's ever what, what ever uh been. what um what did you find uh not a lot of great stuff so i found this it's called designated i don't okay. know why because based on the plot that doesn't make any sense i'll read you the summary Again, I think the person both misunderstood what a title means, and I think they also misunderstood what a summary means. <laughs> Here's the Classic. summary. Classic. There's a lot of things Irene doesn't intend to do tonight, starting off with stubbing her toe on the stairs on the way up to the porch. <laughs> the top step is a little taller than the others, just enough to catch her foot by surprise. She's wearing sandals in tennis shoe weather because the sandals make her legs look better, and they offer about as much as, as much protection as the withdrawal <laughs> method. Um, and then it's just like a 500 word meet cube between her and standard, but it's just the story we heard. And then instead of being cute, we get the sex is mediocre. She can't really fault standard for false advertising. It's missionary boring. And he's still drunk. Who? When he, when he pulls yeah. out the condom slips off crap, he said, he makes a grab for it. It's okay. I got you. No spill. You're all good. Who, read, who like watches this movie and is like, you know what we need? Some standard Irene fan fiction. 
Also, some standard Irene fan fiction where Benicio is conceived because standards clumsily took off the condom and dripped <laughs> semen inside of Irene. Is that what you want? No. No. I can't say that I do. So that's one. And then did you find the Drive Doctor Who crossover? I, I saw it, uh, but I didn't read it. I I, I was like, I, I didn't go into crossover territory. Maybe I should have. I didn't read it, um, but I saw it and skimmed it. And I'm like, I'd watch a romp with those two together. <laughs> I, you know, actually, he would be probably a pretty good character to join the team with Danny. Oh, my God. He could be their driver. Yeah. Who who else is on the team? I forget who's on the team now. It's it's Danny, him, and... We've got, like, four people now. Yeah, it's a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, remember when Adject Suffering did the battle between good and evil that they stopped talking about? Yeah. I think we need to have the, like, X-Files X-Men of Danny Hereditary Midsummer people, and we need yeah. to remember who they are. Yes. Totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. That was Drive. That was Drive. Um, great film. Love I'm so glad we did it. one of your favorites. Yeah, thank you for indulging me in this. Of course, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what have you been up to when not watching Drive? Yeah, so we, we, as you mentioned, we watched Bo is Afraid together. You, me, and Edgar saw it. Um, I I kind of loved it. You know, I I there are parts where I think it could have been cut a little bit. It was a little over long, but overall I was very surprised at how much I, I enjoyed it. And I guess I shouldn't have been surprised because it's Ari Aster and I should have had more faith. We had um, very similar arcs with that film. Also uh, there was a moment in that film where I looked at you and said, this movie could go on for another seven hours like this and I'd be happy. Yep. And I was basically Uh, just about to tell you the exact same thing. (laughs) Yep. Um, But yeah, mixed bag, not a perfect film, but a bold um, one worth seeing, I would say. Yeah. I would say it's my third favorite of, of Astor's movies, but he has not made a bad film for sure. He's made three great movies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what else? What else have you been up to? I finally saw John Wick four. I liked it. It's not my favorite of the series. Uh, it is also overlong, but very, very good. And, a, and a, I think it was a pretty satisfying ending. Um, uh, video game wise, basically really only two things. I have I platinum Resident Evil four remake uh, involved you like wild man playing it like eight times. Uh, and I had a blast. I, I, I will admit I am wild and stupid in the sense that I will play. I have sometimes gone out of my way to do things I don't enjoy to platinum games, um, like replaying Final Fantasy VII Remake on hard. Um, oh God. Yeah. Um, this was a, just a delight for the almost the entirety of the platinuming. Um, and it's not an easy game to do. I mean, some of it involves like beating the entire game using just a pistol and a knife. There's one where you can you have to beat the game in like less than um, five and a half hours and you can only save up to 15 times and there's no auto save. Whoa. You have to be very strategic with when you save. Yeah. Um, it, It's a game that encourages replay. Um, I guess you just like in the old game, you can unlock really awesome weapons like that have infinite ammo, infinite rocket launchers and stuff like that. But there are like certain twists, like in order to get one of the trophies and get one of like to beat the game and get an S plus rating, you cannot play on new game plus you cannot use the infinite ammo well you can't well actually you can do that you can use infinite ammo weapons but you have to like earn them yourself you can't carry anything over from previous playthroughs mm. so it makes the game much much harder um it but really it was a really rewarding fun challenge I, I really like it it's a just a fantastic game one of the best games ever like i'm just going to refer to resident evil 4 remake and resident evil 4 collectively like they're just some of some of the like best video games ever made 
Um, I was, yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, I was talking to my brother last night and we were talking about resident evil and he was saying he wanted to pick up the four remake. And I was telling him what you told me that um, it's, they're different. Uh, they're not one-to-one, but they're both very, very good in their own ways. Um, and my brother was like, why they remake four? Did people like that one? <laughs> and I was like, I think it's widely regarded as the best in the series, yeah, hands down. It definitely like, is. Oh, is it? I think I'll pick up the remake. Yeah, he needs to do like, that. Yeah, I think he should. Um, and then lastly, I've been uh, playing Final Fantasy IV, the Pixel Remaster. I've been seeing that. How have you been liking it? I, I Really good. I, I would actually love to do that for the show if you uh, would want to replay it or if you just know it well enough to just I do mean- without having to replay it. I definitely know it well enough. I'd love to jump back in just to tool around, but I play that game. Uh, I probably played that to completion almost as many times as Final Fantasy Tactics. So at least oh. like three, four times. Wow. Okay. We should yeah. definitely do it for the show. I- I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to hold my thoughts then. Cause I think we yeah. should do it. Um, It, it is, it, it's fun. I'll just say it like it, it's fun. Uh, And I enjoy the, the changes that the pixel remaster brings. It's my first time ever playing it. Um, I, I got the, pixel remaster collection so i've got all all the first six and it was the one that i just kind of wanted to dive into the most aside from replaying six um Um, the music is sublime and i think the pixel remaster remixes are particularly great very very good um yeah yeah, i'm excited i'm uh i feel like i'm 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 definitely over halfway i would say maybe i'm probably around like the 60 at 60 percent through Excellent. So, yeah, Excellent. we'll see. Um, I'll, I'll let you know my thoughts. Uh, I guess, yeah, I think, we, I mean, we have time to do it. Um, I would do it for next week or the week after. I would after. absolutely do it, yeah. Cool. Um, we'll talk about it. Yeah. But I also picked up a Final Fantasy. I picked up Final Fantasy 2 because it's one I have not very much experience with. It's also I, very, like, widely regarded as the worst one in the it series. Is. It is. So, so which, you think it is. Okay. Well, it's it's regarded that oh. way, but I that is why I want to explore it further. Yeah, um, I think it has a lot of very interesting ideas, and I've been having fun playing around with it so far. Now I've been doing times four experience. Well, uh, because you kind of have to in these. So games. so have I, uh, and yeah. I don't regret it for a second. I mean, not for okay, one second. A little tiny part of me feels like I'm cheating. But, but you're not because I'm you would not. just be instead of doing one battle, you would do four battles. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like exactly. It's, it's all yeah. Exactly. Um, so I've been tooling around with that. I picked up Advanced Wars one and two reboot camp, uh, which are extremely fun strategy games. Same people who make Fire Emblem. Yeah. Very difficult, much more difficult than Fire Emblem. I've had to replay missions many, many times now. I enjoyed Advanced Wars one. Yeah. They're the kind of games where um, it feels very overwhelming, but every time I lose, I fully know that it was my fault and not the games. That's good. Um, Yeah. And then Edgar and I watched a movie last night. We watched a movie on Hulu called The Lodge. Uh, Oh, yeah. The horror movie? Yeah. Yeah. uh, I I liked it. Uh, uh, um, I I I would say it's like a three out of five. For me. Agreed. Yeah, agreed. I think um it has some interesting ideas. Um, some stuff at afterwards at the end, you're like, wait a minute. Yeah. Um, but I think in terms of keeping you entertained, the last half certainly does. I think it's a bit of a slow burn to get mm-hmm. to the last half. Um, yeah, fun. I mean, you know, not a perfect movie, but fun. Speaking of uh that movie, and we get uh we recent like we did uh, Killing of a Sacred Deer for our show, like what is Elisa Silverstone doing? I God, but I want, her more, role, I want more roles like that. Her role in that 
perfect. And then lodge. That's the exact yeah. amount of Alicia Silverstone I need in the yes. exact right way. Yeah. It'd be funny if she was just typecast as a woman who killed herself. <laughs> like in the first 10 minutes of the movie. Yeah. Can um, you imagine just being Hollywood's go-to for that? Oh, I love it. And too, what you know what I was thinking the entire time I was watching after her scene? I was like, yeah. Good for you, Alicia Silverstone. You swooped in. You got your Alicia Silverstone money, and you probably were on set for one day. Hell yeah, yeah. Good yeah. for her. I love it. Yeah. I love that she's willing to be like, yeah, I'm game. I'm. I'll do that. Yeah. The other thing I've been doing a lot of, which both worries me as a human being and as a video game person, is that I've been playing a lot of competitive Overwatch. I noticed that. It's yeah. Yeah. Um, and I've been playing with friends from work. I've been playing with my brother. If you would ever like to play, uh, I mean, if anything's other friends, I kind of like hung up, uh, my hat when it came to like competitive online gaming. Um, but overwatch is like the one shooter of all the millions of shooters that have come out. And it's even more than more so than halo. And I like used to play halo is like the one that is, seems the most appealing to me. It has the most like character variety because I've also dipped my toes into Cold War zombie mode and I'm like Overwatch is so much more robust than this. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I Friday night, just to give you a little anecdote before we go, don't be a Grinch if I go over time. <laughs> um, but Friday night, I got up at 3 a.m. I couldn't fall back asleep. And I was like, I wonder what the 3 a.m. Overwatch competitive community is like. <laughs> it's toxic. Really? <laughs> it's not Oh, great. no. Um, but it was it was an experience and I've been having fun with it. So I'm probably going to keep playing competitive Overwatch. But um, it's sometimes you get teams of people that are not the kindest to each other in the comments. I'm not surprised. Not that's surprised. A, that's one of the things I don't like about the online gaming communities. It, it always has been toxic. That's the thing. It's like but in, in college, I was just like a stupider kid and just like didn't bother me. And sometimes I found it funny. I don't find it funny anymore. Yeah, that's why I think Nintendo nailed it. No, no text chat, no voice chat in their games. Play terrible service, awful terrible servers. servers. Yeah. yeah, they really nailed it. They nailed it. They they have. We'll say it here, and you agreed with me on the air. Nintendo <laughs> no. has nailed online gaming. You are you saying you don't want to be able to talk shit to like Brian while you're playing Mario Kart against him? <laughs> I mean, I guess I do, but I don't want to hear like racial slurs being tossed at me while i'm playing overwatch well of course of course not. Yeah. no one does no, no one does yeah. oh my all right i guess we're done are we yes <laughs> <laughs>